Amen. You guys go ahead and grab a seat. And just once again, we are so thrilled that you guys are here with us to celebrate this good news, this truth, this person, Jesus. And before Matt comes and uh, preaches the word this morning, uh, we're going to take a few minutes this morning and we're going to sit with the word of God being, um, being read over us. Uh, it's pretty rare that we get the opportunity to just have several minutes allotted where someone recites scripture over us, and it's incredibly powerful. And so our friend Tim is about to come up, and Tim, every single word that's about to come out of Tim's mouth is straight from scripture. And so as you hear this, as you watch what's on the screen, our prayer is that our hearts would be stirred more and more to love Jesus and to, be, uh, to have a sense of reverence and awe and wow and wonder that he is who he says he is. So if you guys would, would you welcome Tim as he comes up here? Come on up, Tim. Lift your eyes and look up to the heavens. Who created all of these? Surely he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, there's not one of them that's missing. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, we may know that there is none besides him. He is the Lord and there is no other. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises and working wonders? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne and love and faithfulness go before you. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that move in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Oh, let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in our hearts. And yet we cannot fathom what he has done from beginning to end. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. But who may climb the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? There is a path before us that seems right, but it ends in death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I really don't understand myself. I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. There's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin still within me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. 
try me and know my anxious thoughts. Too many troubles gather around me. My sins have taken such a hold on me that I'm not able to see. What I fear has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. The churning inside me never stops. My grief overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy for me to bear. My heart pounds. My strength is gone. My days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires are broken. Who will set me free from this body of death? Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, and your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I bore your griefs, and I carried your sorrows. I will never leave you nor forsake you, for I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the good way is it. Walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. For I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. So let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. For these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. For the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Amen. Amen. Y'all want to go eat after that? (laughs) That was awesome. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I love your word. I truly do. There's nothing in all of this world that compares to hearing your voice. It is true. It is right. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, God. I thank you for it. When I hear it, God, I hear your voice, and it's so clear to me that it's not of this world. Lord, I love you, I praise you, I pray that you would speak through me today as we open up your word. I pray that you would do what no human being could do, Father, you would change us, that we would be different in how we came in. We love you, we praise you, we honor you tonight, today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Guys, it is so good to be with you today. Uh, My name's Matt Carter, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone, and happy Easter, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for fighting the crowds to be a part of this today. Today is uh, April 1st, which is simultaneously one of my favorite days of the year because it's Easter. I love Easter. Um, Just an incredible reminder that God is alive. We don't worship a God that's still in the ground. We worship a Lord that is on his throne. And uh, at the very same time, today is April Fool's Day, which is my least favorite day of the entire year. Um, I I am... I am incredibly gullible. I have been since I was a child, and I could tell you so many stories about being tricked and humiliated on this day throughout my life. And so it's kind of it's difficult to share this one horrible but yet amazing days all at the same time. And uh, 
when a buddy of mine shared with me a couple months ago, like, hey, Easter, it's fallen on April Fool's Day this year. I instantly knew that I was going to preach and make the connection between the two things. And I thought I was really clever, you know, borderline brilliant in making that connection until I realized that every preacher in the United States of America was doing the same thing today. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and give you just kind of my thesis from my talk today, which is apparently horribly cliche, but it's still very true. All right. So here it goes. Here's the thesis of what we're going to look at today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, that Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and then coming back to life is either the greatest April Fool's joke in the history of civilization, it's either the, the greatest and the biggest April Fool's joke in the history of mankind, a, a hoax of unimaginable proportions that has fooled untold billions of people across every continent on the globe for the last 2,000 years, or it really happened. It's true. It's really one of the two. At the end of the day, and I want you to hear this pretty carefully because I believe it's critical, is that every human being, and I say that not glibly, I believe it, every human being must come to terms with where they personally stand on this question. Do you believe, do you believe or do you not believe that Jesus from Nazareth died and rose again? Because if Jesus Christ, guys, if he did not rise from the grave, and this really is the greatest hoax in human history, then we need to tell everybody we know not to fall for it. But, but if Jesus did rise from the grave, if he did come back to life, if he is exactly who he said he was, then one, we need to fall on our face and worship him. And two, we need to get back up off of our face from worship him and go out these doors and tell everybody we know that it really happened. And so here's what I'm gonna do today. This is an incredibly simple message. Um, I'm gonna share why I personally believe that the resurrection really happened. I'm just gonna share my perspective and my reality, I am, I am one person, but I have bet my entire life that this is true. I have altered my entire life because I believe with everything I am that this really happened. And so all I'm gonna do today, I'm really speaking this message to, to skeptics. I'm, I'm preaching this message to people that aren't believers. I'm preaching this message to folks who haven't made up their mind yet. I'm simply gonna give you, hey, This is one man's perspective, one man's experience of why I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ absolutely happened. I'm gonna give you five quick things today and then we're gonna pray and be done. But here's the fifth one. And um, I'm gonna start with what I believe is the least important and the least convincing reason that I believe the resurrection really occurred. I'm gonna work my way down to the number one most important, in my opinion, most convincing reason that the resurrection is true and it really happened. But here's number five. And for lack of better words, signs and wonders or signs and miracles. There have been a handful of things that have happened in my life that are so crazy, that are so kind of unexplainable that it's, it's very difficult for me to understand how they happened apart from God. And I'm enough of a skeptic myself that I've uncovered every rock and nuance these stories to try to see, hey, was this a coincidence? And, and there's several stories that have happened in my life, and some of them you can kind of look back and go, yeah, that could have been a coincidence. But there's a few that have happened that are like, man, I just don't think it is. And I'm going to share two of them with you today. 
If, you've, if you're a long-time Austin stoner, you've heard one of these before because I've shared it with it several times over the years. Um, but the second one I've never shared. So here's the first one. <clears throat> the first one, this happened years ago. <clears throat> Back in 2002, my mother passed away very suddenly. And um, it was shock to us. It was, it was, it was horrible. And, and about two weeks after I lost my mom, I went on a mission trip. And something happened that made me remember um, an event that occurred when I was 11 years old. When I was 11 years old, we were sitting in a church service together at First Baptist Athens, Texas, in East Texas, and, and we were singing the song, Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. And I know that He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because He lives. And my mom leaned over to me. I was 11. She goes, when I die, I want you to bury me in a red dress, and I want you guys to sing Because He Lives. <clears throat> and for some reason... I remembered her saying that. And so when she passed away, we buried her in a red dress. At the funeral, we sang, Because He Lives. And then two weeks later, I went on this mission trip to Belize. Um, it was late one night. My group was sitting around talking, and there was one of the local pastors from Belize, indigenous guy, kind of came in and said, hey, do any of you guys want to go out? I'm going witnessing tonight out in one of the villages. Did anybody want to go? It was about 1130 at night. I'm, I was young and crazy at the time. I was like, I'll go. And so I went with him. It was just me and him. I thought we were going to go out together, um, and, but then I realized that there was no electricity out there, and I got kind of scared when he told me that, no, I'm going to go this way, Matt, and you're going to go that way. I was like, all right, I'm going to die. That's okay. I know the Lord. Um, and so he sent me off in the direction. There's no electricity. I have a flashlight, and I'm going and knocking on the door. This white guy come knocking on the door of these people's, like, grass huts in the middle of the jungle in Belize, and, and they're like, what in the world are you doing, white boy, out here? And so I just failed miserably, led nobody to Christ, and so I walked back to the car. I was waiting for this pastor to come, and this little boy came walking up kind of out of the blue, just out of nowhere. He was probably going back to his house, and, and I stopped him, and long story short, I shared the gospel with him, and he became a believer. Right there in the middle of the jungle, he became a believer. It was really cool. <clears throat> and in that moment, I was initially really excited, but then I got really sad because I thought, man, this is, this is one of those stories that I would call my mom, and I would tell her what happened. And I started to cry just because the, the freshness of her death hit me, and I, I started to pray. And this was the prayer that I prayed. I said, Lord, does she know, does she know what just happened? Because the Bible teaches that when one soul comes to Christ, the angels rejoice, moms in heaven, she loved Jesus. And so I was like, Lord, does she know if that just happened? I was like, and I prayed this prayer, said, God, can you show me that she knew? Which was a bold prayer. And by the way, as God is my witness as I'm standing here, everything in the story is absolutely true. And so I'm sitting there, <clears throat> I look down the road, short time after I prayed that prayer, there's this guy walking down the road, I think, it's the pastor coming back, and then I realize is kind of comes into view, and I realize it wasn't the pastor, it was just some random guy I'd never seen before, he had a guitar on his back, and the first thing that went through my mind is, God, I don't need to go in the jungle, you're just bringing people to me, I'm gonna lead another one to Christ, you just, there's nothing to this, this is easy. And so the guy walks right up to me, and I'm like, God, here we go, you're, you're, you're going to heaven, bro, so, and I'm, I'm getting ready to share the gospel with this guy, <clears throat> and... So I'm looking for an angle to start talking about Jesus. He's got a guitar in his back. So I started asking him questions about that. I was like, hey, man, are you, you play the guitar? And he said, yeah, I play the guitar. And uh, I said, what do you play? And he said, oh, I play all different kinds of music. And I said, well, why don't you play me a song? And he said, what, what song would you like me to play? And I said, man, you pick. You just pick whatever, you know, sing whatever song you want to play. 
He pulls over his guitar, and he starts singing Because He Lives right there in the middle of the night in the jungle. Now, listen, folks. You're nuts if you think that's a coincidence. Maybe it is, but it's one in a billion. A story like that, I have absolutely no explanation for it apart from the Lord. Here's the second story, and this happened recently. As, um, as I shared a couple weeks ago, I was diagnosed on December 15th, I think, with melanoma. I had it on my ear. It was early stages. They caught it early, but in the first day, we didn't know if it was early stage, and so we were kind of scared and to hear that you had skin cancer. And I called two people, called my wife, <coughs> Jennifer, and I called our lead pastor, Kevin Peck. I told Kevin they were the only people that knew beside the doctors. And I said, man, let's not tell anybody just yet till we know what we're dealing with. And Kevin's like, okay. And, and so <coughs> that afternoon... Ross Lester called Kevin. Ross Lester's our West Campus pastor. He's from South Africa. He was in South Africa at the time. He's now in America. He's amazing. But he called Kevin, and they were talking, and, and Kevin said, hey, man, um, or no, Ross asked Kevin, how's Matt Carter doing? Which Kevin thought that was an interesting question because Ross and I really didn't know each other that well. And Kevin goes, uh, he's actually not doing great. I'm not really supposed to talk about it, but could you just pray for him? And then Ross said to Kevin, does he have melanoma? And Kevin just paused because again, I just called him and said, don't tell anybody. Kevin said, Ross, how do you, how do you know that? Did Matt call you? And Ross said, no, man, I, he didn't call me. Does he have melanoma? And Kevin said, yeah, Matt just called me and told me he had melanoma. Well, Ross explained to Kevin that three days before He'd woken up in the middle of the night because he had a dream that I'd been diagnosed with melanoma. And his, his dream was that I'd been diagnosed with melanoma and that Kevin and I were telling our staff this and that the point of the dream was that God was showing us that the Austin Stone was about to go through a time of testing, but that it was okay because God was gonna be there and go before us and be with us and everything was gonna be all right. Kevin immediately started crying. I heard the story, I, I started crying. And since then, some of the stuff you know about, some of the stuff you don't, but the Austin song has gone through an incredible time of testing. But here's the thing. There, there are a couple of things in my life that are like that, that it, maybe it's a coincidence, but it's very difficult to understand apart from there being a living God that does what he says he does. All right? So that's, that's number five here. Here's number four. <clears throat> and this, is, this is another one I've shared before. Three long-time folks that have gone to stone my spiritual gift. See, the Bible tells us that at the moment of your salvation, you don't just get saved and become a child of God, but at the moment of salvation, you receive a Holy Spirit-empowered ability. That at the moment of your salvation, God gives you a gift that's empowered by God that you normally wouldn't have apart from being a Christian. It's called a spiritual gift. Let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Paul says, now there are various gifts, <coughs> excuse me, but the same spirit. <clears throat> there are various er, varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. And so Paul just said that there's gonna be this activity you can do, this gift that you're gonna be given, and it's empowered by God. It's not gonna be your power, it's God's power. Then in verse seven, he says, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for a common good. And so for every Christian, God has given you an ability where the spirit is gonna manifest himself, and it's for the building up of the body of Christ. <clears throat> now, I heard this a bunch growing up, but I had absolutely no clue 
what my spiritual gift was. I'd been saved, but I had no idea what mine was. Now, a little backstory here. Um, I grew up and I was mortified of public speaking, scared to death, still kind of afraid of it, honestly. But um, when I was a sophomore at, uh, in college, I signed up for a speech communications class. And on the first class, we found out that on the second class, we had to stand up in front of 30 people and give our name, our major, and our hometown. And I was so scared, I dropped the class the next day. True story. Short time later, <clears throat> won't bore you with the story, I became a, a youth pastor at this tiny church in Bryan, Texas. And <clears throat> the pastor came up to me uh, one day before Easter. He said, hey, We've got a sunrise Easter service, and we've got a regular service. Would you be willing to preach the sunrise service? And I don't remember why I said yes, but I said yes, and I was scared to death. I'd never preached before. I'd never prepared a sermon before. I had no clue whatsoever what I was doing, but I prepared. I prayed probably more than any sermon in the history of my career, and I got up to preach, and when I got up to preach, something happened that I've never experienced before in my life and I've never experienced in any other context whatsoever in all of my life. But the best way to describe what occurred in the moment is once the, the first couple of seconds passed and the, the jitters and the, and the nerves went away, the best way to describe it is something took over. Something took over. And I could, just, I could just do it. And the best way I can articulate it to you from a guy that's mortified to speak publicly, it felt kind of like skiing. It's once you take that first step off the cliff, then gravity takes over, and you're just kind of guiding it. But there's another power that's moving you down the hill. That's what it felt like. And I remember kind of in this other part of my brain, I'm speaking with one part of my brain, the other part of my brain, I'm going, what is going on? There was a guy on the front row that was this older gentleman that had never shown any emotion in the whole time I was a youth pastor. He just stared at you the whole time, and he was weeping. It was a girl that had been coming to our youth group for a long time, had a really difficult, hard heart, and she came to Christ. My, my fiance at the time, who's now my wife, Jennifer, walked up. We'd been dating a long time. She walked up to me after the sermon. Her eyes were huge. She looked at me, and she goes, the guy I know is not the guy on the stage. So what is that? What's going on there? Listen, I've, I've done a lot of stuff in my life. I've, I've written books. I've coached football. I have never, ever, ever, ever in any other place experienced that manifestation of power except when I stand in the pulpit and preach the Bible. And I simply don't have an, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, I don't have an explanation for that apart from what the Bible says is true and that God is real. Here's number three. Reason I believe in the resurrection. Excuse me. The disciples change in behavior. The disciples change in behavior from before and after the resurrection and the subsequent um, resulting widespread of the gospel through the whole earth. I have a hard time really explaining that apart from the reality of it being true. So here's the thing. There have been dozens of men, maybe hundreds of men throughout history that have come up from Israel and claimed to be the Messiah, that claimed to be the one that the Old Testament uh, was talking about. And here's the thing, there have been hundreds of men throughout history that raised their hands and said, I'm Messiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were talking about me. But, but here's the thing I want you to understand. I, could, I would bet the farm that we all could go outside on the South Congress today and we could ask a 1,000 people, have you ever heard of one of those guys from Israel that claimed to be the Messiah? And maybe a couple of them maybe have heard of one of them, but most of them will not, have not. But then you ask that same thousand people, how many of you guys have ever heard of this guy named Jesus from Nazareth? And the vast majority of that thousand will have heard 
his name. And here's the question, why? Why? If, if Jesus is simply just another guy in a really long line of delusional failed liars, then why have we heard of none of their names but we have heard of the name of Jesus? <clears throat> well, I'm gonna tell you what I think it is. I'm gonna tell you my theory of what it is. Um, why you've never heard any of these other guys' names, and there's hundreds of them, because, here it is, because they died and they stayed dead. They died and they stayed dead. They had all these promises, all these things that were gonna, they were gonna accomplish through their life, and, and, and what happened is they died and their, and their followers looked at them and they realized the dude's dead and nothing he said came true. And so they walked away and they never spoke his name again, and that's why you've never heard their name. But you have heard of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Because after something died, or after, excuse me, after he died, I'm convinced that something different happened. His disciples claimed that he, he rose from the grave. And not only did they claim it, but they absolutely refused to stop talking about it. There, there's a, a place in Acts, this is after the resurrection, where Paul, or not Paul, but rather Peter and John are out preaching, hey, Y'all remember Jesus? The dude came back to life, man. He came out of the grave. They were preaching it. And the rulers came up to um, Peter and John and they said, look, you have got to stop talking about this. We don't want people to hear this. This is nonsense. That didn't happen. You've got to shut up. You can't say this. And if you don't shut up, we're going to beat you and put you in prison. And Peter and John looked at the guy and said, look, man, You can beat us if you want to. You can put us in prison if you want to. And this is what he said. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Why the change? I mean, this is the same guy. Peter is the same exact guy that just a short time earlier was so scared of getting into trouble with the authorities that he denied that he even knew Jesus Christ. And he did it three times. But after the resurrection, after the resurrection, this same guy would spend the rest of his life telling anybody who would listen, he'd be like, hey, the guy came out of the grave. This is the same guy that three times when asked before the resurrection was like, I don't even know Jesus Christ. But after the resurrection, they're like, if you don't shut up, we're gonna kill you. He says, I can't shut up, won't shut up. He kept preaching. And so they threatened to crucify him upside down if he didn't, unless he denied the resurrection, he refused to deny the resurrection and they crucified him upside down. Why the change? What's the difference? I tell you, folks, here's what I can't get over. That seems pretty unlikely to me if it was all a big hoax and Peter would have known it was a big hoax. I'll tell you, I, I'm not even gonna get a paper cut for something I know is a lie. Y'all with me? Amen? I'm gonna give you a paper cut unless you tell me the truth. I'm spilling my, my guts right there. It never happened, man. Don't give me a paper cut. Peter was willing to be crucified upside down before he would deny the reality of the resurrection. Listen, every one of the disciples, but one, John, he died um, in exile on the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But every single one of the disciples, but one, were tortured and died violent deaths because they absolutely refused. They were tortured. And they died violent deaths because they refused to deny that Jesus rose from the grave. 
And so the message spread. And it spread to a second generation of Christians who are not eyewitnesses. But here's what happened with the second generation of Christians who didn't see it. The message of the resurrection so changed their lives. It so changed their hearts. It so changed their minds. It so changed their realities that they, when facing torture and death, they refused to deny the resurrection. Like, I didn't see it, but I'm going to tell you something. The message changed my entire life. I can't deny it. you got to kill me. And so the message grew, and the message spread. And it crossed every continent, almost every country across 2,000 years over an untold number of oceans and cultures and languages, and it eventually got to you. And that's why you have heard the name. I have a hard time understanding that and explaining that, <clears throat> apart from the fact that it really happened. All right, but here's, here's, here's number two, second most important reason I believe in the resurrection. And this is super personal to me. And if you're here and you're maybe a skeptic or you don't believe in the resurrection, this one may not be as compelling to you, but, but this is maybe the one that I have spent the most time pondering and thinking about and, 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 and wrestling with. And, and to me, um, I can't get over this because I've seen it happen over and over and over again in my lifetime, and here it is. <clears throat> There's a longing inside of me. There are longings, rather, inside of me that simply will not go away and there is nothing in this world that seems to be able to satisfy those longings except for God. And that, that is one of the most compelling things to me. And I could give you 15 examples of what I'm talking about, these longings that kind of pop up in my soul that the world just cannot seem to satisfy. But that'd take too long, so I'm gonna give you two. Here they are. I have a deep and a profound longing inside of me for a deeper love and a better home than the world seems to be able to offer me. I have inside of me a longing for a deeper love and a better home than the world seems to be able to offer me. It's, a, it's an itch that I can't seem to scratch and I've tried. Here's the thing, probably the, uh, this longing for a deeper and more profound experience of love probably has most deeply manifested itself in my marriage. All right, here's what I'm talking about. In my, here are the stats. You've heard the first one before. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. You've heard that. All right, now here's one you haven't heard. Learn from Lifeway and their study on marriage. So of the 50%, excuse me, of marriages that stay together, 80% of that 50% describe themselves as unhappy or moderately happy, just more than unhappy. And so here's a question for you. Why is that? Why do, why do 50% of the people that start off dating and fall madly in love and get married eventually look at each other and go, we can't stand each other, we're gonna break it apart? And the 80% of the 50% that do stay together look at each other and like, we, we made it, but I'm not really fulfilled, I'm not really happy. What's going on there? Well, here's the thing. You know, Jennifer and I have been married for over 20 years and I would currently put our marriage in, in that 20% of the happy marriages of the 50% that stay together right now together. Right now I would. We've had a lot of ups and a lot of downs and we've had some tough times and great times. But right now we've kind of hit our stride and we're in a really, really good place and have been for a long time. And I would say we're still in love with one another. But here's the thing. And I'm gonna say something to you 
And there's a lot of you in the room that are young, that are not married. And there's a lot of you that are maybe engaged or you're about to get married or you wanna get married and you're gonna hear this and you're gonna think this is the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life and you're not gonna believe it. But I'm gonna tell you something, one day you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And here it is. Both of us, my wife and I, would tell you that there is a depth of love, there is a depth of acceptance, there is a depth of knowing, there is a depth of intimacy that both of our souls hunger for, that each other are not able to consistently provide for each other. It just happened. You, go, you talk to anybody that's been married a significant length of time, if they're being honest, you, they will tell you that. There is a depth of love that the human soul hungers for that a human being simply cannot provide consistently to the other. Why is that? What is going on there with that? And here's the other thing I've noticed. Throughout my entire life, there has been this kind of weird, underlying sense subtle sense of homesickness that I feel and I experience and it never quite really leaves me, which doesn't make a ton of sense because I have a wonderful family. If you'd have have showed pictures of my three kids and my wife to me and talked to me about them when I was 17 years old, I wouldn't have believed you and it would have blown my mind. They're better than my wildest imagination of what my family could have been like. I love them. I'm crazy about them. I have a killer family. I have a great home. I live in the greatest city in the whole world, amen. I live in the greatest city in the whole world. So why in the world, why in the world have I my entire life, have I noticed this kind of subtle, gnawing homesickness that's just under the surface that I can't quite put my finger on? Well, over the years, I've been tempted to chalk it up to a pretty severe case of ADD, which I have, that maybe that's just what's going on, that you're always just kind of looking at the next thing, you're never kind of satisfied, but here's the problem with that, is that you go talk to just about anybody, and they'll go, yeah, I know what you're talking about. If you don't believe me, look at art. Go watch movies, go listen to songs, and, and pay attention to how often you will hear the underlying theme of that movie and that song be this kind of subtle desire and this longing for a sense of community and belonging and love and home. Here's the thing. I want you to to hear this, don't miss this. That love, that depth of love that we all hunger for, um, matter of fact, I skip one, Let let me just tell you this. I think the other is transcendent beauty, transcendent beauty. And th- th- that, that produces a, a homesickness in me. Like when, you, when you're standing on a mountain or when you see a sunset or when you're on the beach and you see kind of this picture of transcendent beauty, you would think that, oh man, that might satisfy that, but it doesn't. It just kind of produces in me a greater longing and hunger. And so here's what I want you to hear. That love that all of us hunger for, that love that all of us hunger for, those, those brushes with transcendent um, beauty that produces in us a longing for more, that homesickness that doesn't seem to go away. One, that is either a chemical reaction in my brain that's a product of evolution, or, or there is a love that I was created for that is greater than the love I have here on earth. Or that there's a beauty that I was created to encounter that is greater than the beauty I can experience here on earth. And, and then that there is a home that I was created to live in and to exist in that is greater than the home I, hear, I have here on earth. The Bible claims that the latter is true. The Bible 
says that human beings were created to experience the fullness of love and the biggest, highest, best expression of love inside a relationship with God and nowhere else. The scripture, the Bible says that human beings were created to experience the fullness of transcendent beauty in the face of God and nowhere else. The Bible claims that we were, that human beings were created to experience the perfect, perfect expression of home in the presence of God. And the crazy thing is, church, we once had it in the garden. We experienced that depth of love. We experienced that transcendent beauty. And seeing his face, we, we encountered that incredible, perfect sense of home in his presence, but then sin entered the world and we lost it. And so what men and women do is the rest of their lives, they spend their lives trying to fulfill those longings with the stuff of the world and it never works. It never works. It's very simple. We were created to experience all those things and have all those longings satisfied in one place, and that is God. The Bible even comes right out and says that in Ecclesiastes, it said, God put eternity in your heart. And so there is nothing temporal that's ever gonna satisfy that eternal longing in your heart except the eternal. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If I find myself, or rather, if I find in myself desires that only God can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I've tried hard to have those needs met in other places. It doesn't work, but God does every time. I'm convinced. Here's the number one reason that I believe in the resurrection. I'm almost done. The beauty and the uniqueness of the message of Christianity as opposed to every other religion. That's the number one reason that I believe in the resurrection because of the beauty and uniqueness of the message of Christianity as opposed to every other religion. And here's what I mean by that. That the heart of the message of Christianity is not a set of rules. At the heart of Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts that you have to accomplish to get right with God. At the heart of the message of Christianity is not a system of weighing. Have you done more good than bad? And if you've done more good, then you're going to heaven. At the heart, the message of Christianity is this thing called the gospel. The gospel. <laughs> that word, the gospel, it comes from a Greek word called euangelion. And it's, a, it's a, originally used in a military context. Back in the day, if you lived in a city... You had walls that surrounded your city, and if you looked up over the walls and there was a foreign invading army that was coming, then and what you would do is you would send out a home army to um, keep the foreign invading army from getting in your walls and tearing down your houses and taking your children. And so you'd send the, the home army out to, to fight the battle for you. But this, there's a problem. This was before Twitter, and so nobody had any idea what was going on. Nobody knew whether you won or, or you lost, and so it was a really difficult stressful time for the home city because you didn't know if you were gonna live or you were gonna die. You had absolutely no idea. So if you lost, if the home army lost, game over. Foreign army comes in, tears everything down, takes your kids. But if the home army won, if the home army won, what they would do is they would send a messenger back to the, to the hometown, to the home city. And the messenger would stand up on top of the city walls and he would gather all the people underneath him and he would shout at the top of his lungs, I have an euangelion for you. It's a word that means good news. That's what it means, good news. 
I have a new on for you. I have a gospel for you. I have good news for you. Guess what, everybody? Good news, you're not gonna die, but you're gonna live. Why? Because our army has won the battle for you. And everybody would go crazy. Here's the thing. I want you to listen to the very first sentence of the very first sermon that Jesus ever preaches. Now that you know what the word gospel, euangelion, means, good news of a battle that's already been won. I want you to listen to the very first sentence Jesus ever preached. Here it is. Mark chapter one, verse 13. And he, that's Jesus, was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And now after John, was, that's his cousin, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Mark chapter one, verse 15, this is the first sentence, Jesus' first sermon, watch what he says. <clears throat> Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. It's the first thing he ever says. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't come up and say, hey everybody, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is where God is at hand, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a new list of do's and don'ts and right and wrongs and a list of commandments and we're gonna go out those doors and pull up our bootstraps and do our best to follow them, good luck. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus comes up on the scene, he says, hey everybody, I want you to know something, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, so here's what I want you to do. Here's your action step, believe the good news. What, what is this good news that's at the heart of the message of Christianity? I'm gonna tell you what it is. This is the good news. <clears throat> Every other religion in all the world says if you're bad and you don't follow all the rules, God will punish you. But Christianity says, the gospel says, you were bad and you didn't follow all the rules, but Jesus took your punishment for you on the cross. That's good news. Every other religion says you wanna please God, here's what you have to do to please God. But, but Christianity says, the gospel says that God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you, not because of what you've done or not done, but because of what Jesus did for you at the cross and the resurrection. That's really good news. Every other religion says, here are all the things you need to do to try to work your way back to God. But the gospel says, here are all the things that God has done to work himself back to you. And that's really good news. Every other religion says, I obey so that God will be pleased with me. But the scripture, the, the Bible, the gospel, Christianity, the good news says that God is pleased with me because of his son and the son's work on the cross and the resurrection and therefore my result is I'm gonna obey. It's good news. Every other religion is defined by someone who tries their hardest to follow a list of do's and don'ts, hoping to earn their way to heaven. But the gospel says the Christ follower is defined by someone who repents and believes the good news that heaven has already been earned for you by what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection. You see the monumental difference between the two? Do you see the eternal difference between the two? It's unbelievable. And I'm just telling you, all in the world that I am today is I am a messenger 
And I am coming, I'm kind of standing on a little wall here over the people and I have a message for you today. I have an euangelion for you today. I have a gospel for you today. Paul talks about in Romans 6, 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have an euangelion for you today. I have a message of good news for you today. It's in John 3, 16, where John said, or Jesus rather said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm a messenger with good news for you today. In Ephesians 2, 1, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And once you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your doing. It is a gift from God. That's the best news I've ever heard in my entire life. It's the best news I've ever heard. Nothing whatsoever compares to this. That's the number one reason I believe that all of this is true because nothing compares to the uniqueness and the beauty and the power of that good news. Paul said this. Paul said, if Christ had not been risen from the grave, then we are to be pitied most above all men. That's true. (laughs) If this is the greatest April Fool's hoax in the history of the world, then we are to be pitied most among all men because we've given our lives for nothing. But then Paul finishes that argument. He says, but Christ in fact, he says, has arisen from the grave. Here's the thing, if Christ has not been risen, then none of this matters. None of this matters at all. But if Christ has been risen, nothing matters more. Nothing matters more. Let's pray together. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to take what I believe is maybe one of the most important significant moments of your entire eternity and do business with God on this one question. Do I believe or do I not? Because that's my story. But what's your story? The scripture says that If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and you believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the grave, you will be saved. And so maybe this morning for the very first time you sense a belief rising up in you. I want you to know that's from God. That's, that's the creator of the universe calling your name. And the best way you know how, just confess with your mouth, God, I believe this, you're Lord, and believe in your heart. Christ was risen from the grave, and the, the word of God says that the Lord's gonna save you. He's gonna forgive you of your sins. He's gonna adopt you into his family as his son or his daughter. He's gonna give you his Holy Spirit. He's gonna complete the good work he started in you the rest of your life and then on your last breath, you're gonna see him face to face and that depth of love you've longed for will be instantly fulfilled. That beauty like you've never seen will fill your eyes and a sense of home that you've never experienced before will envelop you when you're in his presence. That's the promise of the Bible. Jesus, I thank you for what you did all that time ago for dying, suffering on the cross for us. Lord, God, I thank you that you raised your son from the grave, that we have a hope today, (laughs) that we can look at death and say, oh, death, where's your sting? Because he conquered death. That's the hope we have. Lord, I pray for those that are believers in this room that have been believers for a long time, Lord, I pray as we stand in just a second that we would sing at the top of our lungs the reality that you are alive today, that we worship and we sing to a living God. And it's your name we pray, amen. So let's stand together, and as we do, here's what we're gonna do. Go ahead and stand up. Think about this. Think about this. When that messenger stood up on top of that wall, And he said, hey, guess what, everybody? Good news, you're not gonna live. Or rather, you're not gonna die, you're gonna live. Your children are gonna have a future. That's the good news I have for you today. There has been a battle won for you. I'm gonna tell you what didn't happen. They didn't golf clap. As the band came out and the folks with musicians, they began to praise the Lord on that day that they realized they're not gonna die, but they're gonna live, I promise you. They didn't sing like choir boys. They shouted at the top of their lungs. Praise God for his goodness. You've heard the Euangelion today. Let's worship him with everything we are.